be just be you. Don't try to be something else. You're awesome. Yeah. You're funny. When you try to be something else, you're lame. Oh. This was going so great for me <laughs> until just like right before you said that part. How did that make you feel, Justin? You know what? I'm fine. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Debrief Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Party, and I'm hanging out today with Melody Workman. Hey, everybody. Melody Workman, as you can tell just from that, that was a, you have a very nice voice. It's a professional <laughs> hey, stage singing voice. She's uh, one of our worship leaders here, uh, and you've led worship across all of our campuses, I think I now, have. right? Yep. Uh, I'm kind of a, a little bit jealous of that. I have... Obviously, I do hosting on main campus here. I've gone up to Woodcrest and hosted a few times there. I visited East Valley on the weekends, but I've not ever been on stage to, it's a great to spot. do hosting. I got to... Uh, I got to get up on stage to actually host out there at East Valley. I'm a little bit jealous that you've yeah. you beat me to that level. Well, hey guys, thank you so much for uh, all the support you've been giving us with this podcast. Man, it's been really exciting uh, even to just be here at the uh, first handful of episodes and uh, we're super excited. So one of the things that was so fantastic about this last weekend is Pastor Matt just shared with us from Luke chapter seven mm -hmm. and he, he shared this awesome story about... Um, this woman who came forward and really interrupted this dinner party and uh, just responded to who Jesus was. Really cool weekend. Man, we saw so many people come yeah. forward and commit their lives to Jesus. But aside from all that, Melody, I wanted to have you come on the show and, and just chat a little bit about from the message, wh what part of that really stuck out and challenged you the most? Yeah, this is one of my top three favorite stories um, with Jesus because um, if you look at just the day and age in which he lived, women were um, at best second-class citizens. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus has a way of turning that around all the time. And so here he is at this religious elitist dinner party. So right. just kind of imagine like what that was like. Yeah. Um, and the message calls her the town harlot. Like she walks in and if you're washing someone's feet, you know, with your tears, you're sobbing, right? Right, right. And then you're That's drying like the them with Oprah, your hair. That's like the Oprah Winfrey Ugly Cry. Yeah. Um, how awkward is that <laughs> yeah. for everybody? You know, like, who let her in? What do we do? And Jesus just sits in that awkwardness and lets her be who she is. Mm -hmm. And he invites our authenticity. And in yeah. that moment, she was so overcome with her emotion of just, he knows me and he sees me and he loves me. And Jesus just let everybody sit in that moment with them. And it's fascinating how Jesus handles people. Mm -hmm. That's why I love him. So mm -hmm. that that just imagining the scene and then just how Jesus responds to this woman who's, you know, the lowest of the low mm -hmm. um, just makes me go, gosh, that's why he's so great. So I right. love him. When you imagine, I, I love that thing you... I love, I think that's such a great thing to do when we're reading through these stories of Jesus is to really just try and imagine yeah. um, what that was like and what that moment was. And even kind of like put ourselves into the story a little bit to try and figure out what do we have for this? If you were to do that, where do you see yourself fitting in that story? Well, that's partly what makes me sad is because um, as much as I would want to be in my heart, like her cheerleader, you know, mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is... Um, I feel like just knowing my background, kind of being raised, you know, with legalism, 
I would have been sitting at the table saying, you know, can someone get her out? Cause like we're with Jesus and, and I'm important, oh, man. you okay. know? And right. that kind of, that stabs me to kind of like admit that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grown a lot, but I still think in that moment now looking into it, I would have said, Oh my gosh, how amazing is this? Um, but kind of being honest and saying, yeah, like when awkward moments happen now, sometimes I'm not okay to just sit in them and be awkward and say, what's Jesus trying to teach me right now? What's he doing right now? As much as I'm like, this isn't supposed to be happening, you know? Totally. Okay. Let me ask you maybe a pretty intense question here. One of the, I think one of the key differences between this woman who comes in and really just is authentic, right? She's worshiping Jesus. She's not trying to hide anything. One of the differences between her and all the other religious people at the party was is just that authenticity, that mm-hmm. willingness to be okay um, with not having it all together and letting everybody see that in the moment. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned this. You grew up in the church, right? I grew mm-hmm. up in the church too. Your dad was a pastor? Yep. Okay. So growing up in the church, do you, do you have the pressure or do you try and like either ignore or hide Things like guilt and shame, failure, those kinds of things? Yeah, well, the way I grew up was a church that really kind of prized um, external behaviors as Mm -hmm. markers of your Christianity. Right. So you were super Christian if you did these things, um, and you weren't super Christian if you didn't. And so, you you know, I was always striving to be what was expected of me. And as a pastor's kid, it was definitely expected of me to do certain things. Um, And so I got to a place though in high school where I just felt dead in my soul because I was really just dressing up, playing the part, doing what I was supposed to do, but not having a lot of safe places to say, I don't even know if I want this. I don't even know if I believe this. Totally. Um, And I don't know what to do about that. And God took me on a journey of several years of discovering who he was really and who I was to him. And it had nothing to do with who my parents were, what my talents were. Um, It was all to do with the fact that he loved me enough to send his son to die for me. And that and that alone was what defined my value. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a verse in Zephaniah three seventeen that says God's Dang mighty girl, warrior. Zephaniah, I'm, yeah. is that even a real? You have to cross through like the cobwebs of the, of the Old okay. Testament to find it. <laughs> yes. You know, um, you hold your breath while you like look <laughs> yeah, forward. Right. Um, he says God's a mighty warrior who saves, and he sings over you. Um, and one of the re- one of the um, commentaries I read said, just imagine what God's song for you sounds like. Like, what's his melody song? And all of a sudden, God wasn't this angry dictator who was constantly disappointed in me. He was a loving father who, just as I would rock my children to sleep when they were little, um, has that kind of affection for me. And on that journey to discovering that's who God really was, just changed the whole trajectory of my life, really. Dude, that's so crazy. I really feel like you are almost like writing out my stories. You share that. I mean, I grew up going to church. My mom worked for the church that was there and we were literally at church, not just on Sundays, but every single day of the week, all the time. And, um, really similar. I mean, I remember being a young kid, early elementary school, going up on stage and hosting and welcoming welcoming everybody to church, which is like literally the thing that I do right now. But then also just being like, I'm not just like learning the words to say, or like hearing other old guys, what they would say, how they would pray. Um, And just like learning church is a place where you go and um, it's a people that you're around where you say the right things. And if you do that, for me as a little kid, everyone will, you know, like applaud you and be like, oh, Justin, your future is going to be so great. And then 
like what's so challenging to me about this lady is it's so hard for me to get really vulnerable um, and be authentic. I mean, I'm just thinking when when Lindy and I, when we first got married and things were not working out the way that we thought they were going to be right. I felt like a little bit confused. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, uh, and I just, I just, I I felt totally ashamed of that. Right. Mm -hmm. That our marriage wasn't totally amazing because we were Christians, you know, we both grew up in church and I didn't want to tell anyone. I didn't want, to let the uh, our community group people know. I didn't want to let my friends know because yeah. I felt like, yeah, I'm not supposed to be mm-hmm. this guy who's got issues in his life or have failure, man. So I, I love that lady's willingness to just go out there in front of all these church people yeah. and then just have this moment with Jesus. And um, that's so intense. Now, I know you a little bit and w- we've talked before and you've told me that one of the things that you kind of really wrestle and struggle with is just the issue of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's just such a stigma of like shame and hush hushness almost a little bit that yeah. goes with anxiety now. Um, and nobody really wants to talk about that. Is that an example of an area where it can be really hard to just be real and vulnerable like this lady? Yeah. I mean, mainly because when you grow up, you know, getting awards for memorizing Bible verses, um, you know, I want a free week to camp because I memorize so many verses and, yeah. you know, whoo hoo, super Christian. Right. Um, so I know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on onto your own understanding. I know that verse by heart. So what's wrong with me when I don't trust him? Like, mm-hmm. what's my problem? Like, why, why don't I trust him? Um, and I think, I think God uses the hard things of this life to reveal to us what our core sin. I mean, if I'm just gonna be honest, what our core sin is, what our core struggles are, but then he meets you in those places. And so mine being anxiety, um, I'm going to cry. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. But when my husband had a heart attack mm-hmm. and in the middle of the night and I felt fear, like I had never known before, mm-hmm. it was the really hard place in my life where Jesus met me and said, this is why you can trust me because you're, you're most scared right now. Mm. And I'm most present with you, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's nothing to be ashamed of. I get fear. Um, And kind of on the other side of that, I really started to read scripture a bit deeper. And I went to the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was afraid. Like he was battling anxiety. Mm -hmm. He knew what was before him. And it was just, again, that reminder of, I get what you're struggling with. I get it. I felt it. I've walked in that place. So you don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to feel like you're not a good Christian if this is your struggle. Actually, what you need to do is be as honest about it as you can. Be real about it. Um, And so what I've started to do is I've started to really practice the discipline of gratitude. Mm. because, um, And it's a daily thing for me because I I find that when I'm consciously focusing on and meditating on the goodness of God in my life, um, I root out the seeds of anxiety that will just spring up. Like something bad can happen. And in two minutes in my mind, I've gone to the worst possible scenario and like I'm in a fetal position on the floor, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. Um, And so I have to consciously change what I think first. Um, And that's where knowing God's word is huge because I can feel something and it can be so real to me because I feel it so deeply. Um, But then when I go to Philippians and it says, don't be anxious about anything. Mm -hmm. Like, don't be anxious about anything. And this is from Paul who went through some pretty crappy stuff, really hard stuff, you know? And he's saying it. So I'm saying, okay, God, this is what your word says. So even though this is what I feel, 
I know that this is what's true. Right. So this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to choose to live. Um, well, thank you for being so real with us on yeah. that. Really appreciate that. Um, I, I feel like what you pointed on is really one of the great struggles of Christianity, which is just learning to trust that God doesn't really expect anything from us mm-hmm. other than just like us, you know, and right. our willingness to say, this is who I am right now. And maybe I've been following Jesus for six years or 20 years or even six weeks. And I feel weird that I'm feeling this way or doing these things, but this is who I am. Yep. And I'm going to be real about that because that's the place where um, God can do something really incredible. And what I love is when the, when the lady in Luke 7 has that moment and she's really real um, and she's not just real with God and herself, but she's also real with others, Everybody. you know, like right in front of that moment. And it becomes an opportunity for other, other, other people around her to be blessed. And if, yeah, as we can pursue being real, man, it's an opportunity for others yeah. to, to connect and engage. Cause I think so many people, you know, have that attitude about church that you and I grew up with, mm-hmm. which is where, you know, we've got to be, have, have everything. Together. Yep, exactly. Church is not a place for people with anxiety or right. addictions or real life marital issues. That's why I think when she, you know, comes up to Jesus and she just like goes over the top with her gratitude for what he's done for mm-hmm. her. I think in that moment she felt complete freedom. Yeah, totally. Just total freedom. I don't care what anyone thinks. I don't care if people know what I've done. I don't care if people know where I got the money to mm-hmm. buy this. Right. I don't, you know, and that's what it is to trust God. That's what it is to just love him. It's complete freedom. Totally. You know? Man, so cool. Well, thank you for being on the debrief. Thanks for I loved it. sharing your experience with the message. Really appreciate having you on. And maybe we'll uh, have you back on sometime. I Thanks. hope so. Thanks, Justin. Yep. Well, hey guys, we're going to jump into the Q&A time with Pastor Matt in just a second, but I wanted to interrupt really quickly and just say thank you so much for all the feedback, for all the subscriptions to the podcast. I mean, we are only been doing this for a couple of weeks and you guys are already so, so cool. I wanted to ask one tiny little request and that is, would you consider going to the iTunes podcast directory, finding the debrief and giving us a rating and leaving a review? That'll uh, let the iTunes folks know that this is a real show. And uh, when people go to iTunes and they type in Sandals Church in the debrief, it will help them find the podcast. So if you would take just like two or three minutes and give us a rating, uh, it'll definitely help other people get connected to the debrief podcast and that would be super huge so we'll appreciate it all right guys let's jump into some q a with pastor matt all right pastor matt hey we've got a brand new guest sitting with us on the couch for q a time welcome stephanie yes thanks i'm glad to be here i'm a little nervous about her being here but we can move forward she was on the podcast last week you did uh well enough that we brought you back well thanks guys sorry to griffin and fredo if that made you feel slighted Yes. For uh, not stepping up into the Q&A section. We got some uh, questions for you. you. Ready to jump straight into those? Yeah, yeah. So we're talking about Luke 7 and some... Well, you just preached Luke 7, which oh, yeah. was awesome. And uh, I think I was looking at the numbers. 289 people this weekend made decisions to uh, recommit to Jesus. That's incredible. Two, two, what did you say? Two what? 289. 289. That's 289. amazing. Full disclosure, I'm not very good at math. So that number might yeah, not be accurate. Hence episode zero. Yes. Okay, go ahead. <clears throat> Um, okay, so we got a couple questions coming back all the way to Luke 5. That's where we're going to jump in. Wow. This question comes from Alex, and she's in Lindsay's group. 
Uh, here's what she wrote in. You used the term Jehovah Rapha during the... Did I say that right? Did yeah. I pronounce it? Right, I looked yeah. on Google before yeah. reading this question. You used the term Jehovah Rapha during the healing service when you preached on Luke 5. Uh, Alex grew up Jehovah's Witness, and she wants to know what that name means. What does Jehovah Rapha yeah, mean? Yeah, well, Jehovah is actually the wrong name, so there's no Jeh in the Greek, or excuse me, in the Hebrew. There's no Jeh, so it's Yeh, but the Germans, when they first translated it, turned the Yeh into Jeh, so it's really Yehovah. So Jehovah okay. Jireh, and so Jehovah Jireh. So excuse me. So it's it's just it's just a mispronunciation, but it's just it's kind of stuck. So Jehovah Witnesses, they, they use that word. So it's the idea is Yahweh God, the, the name of God, which it's really not a specific. It's not the name of God. It's a descriptive name of God. So it's Jehovah Yahweh God. Is the descriptive. Yeah. No. Yahweh is the name God, and then Rapha is the description. So God the Who, God the Healer, and so um, so oftentimes the way that uh, the Bible describes God is based upon what he's doing. And so um, there's there's many, there's a great book out there called The Names of God. I can't think of the author's name right now, but we can add that on the, sure, uh, we can the podcast later. Um, but it's a great name. And, and it's basically just descriptions of who God is. Like Jesus's name actually means the Lord saves. So Yahweh saves. And that's what his name means. So... On the Jehovah Witnesses note, my mom has actually been asking me this for a while to ask you, so I'm going to take advantage mm. of that now. Can you kind of explain what the difference is between like what Jehovah Witnesses believe and yeah. what like? Yeah, well, there's there's multiple issues between Jehovah Witnesses and uh, what's considered um, acceptable Christianity. So even within Christianity, right, we have we have disagreements. But mm-hmm. um, Jehovah Witnesses, you know, their founder um, way back when, you know, a lot of a lot of the cults that started today started in America during a time when people were illiterate in America and you had traveling preachers and they were running around. And so this guy, um, their their religion was founded with this guy who was running around saying that he he had the secret like the secret understanding of, of scripture. And so basically, the teaching is that Jesus Christ is not God; that he is um, an angel. So uh, Jesus Christ is created, and um, as as Christians, we reject that. We believe that Christ is eternal; he has always existed. Right. He has always existed with the Father. And so um, we don't believe that there was ever a time where Jesus was not. We believe that Jesus was, is, and is to come. So he's He's the eternal one. And so they reject the deity of Christ. And so um, for us as Christians, that's no good because we worship Christ as the Savior. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is God's Son. So just like my son, Ethan, is a human being, God's Son is divine. Jesus Christ is divine. He is of the substance of the Father. He is one and the same of the Father, and yet distinct because the Trinitarian understanding of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit being three distinct persons of the same God. And we don't ultimately understand everything that that entails, but um, no Christian organization recognizes Jehovah Witnesses as anything other than a cult. They're good people. They mean well. Um, I think they're faithful. We should admire them for their diligence to serve God and uh, to knock on our doors and and spread what they believe is to be the gospel. But what they believe was um, condemned uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And so um, it's just really, really sad that they're misguided by a spirit, spiritual teacher and a spiritual leader who really was spreading false information. And that's why it's so important. You know, where do you go to church? Do other Christian churches accept your church as, you know, we don't all agree 100%, but no Christian church would say that Jehovah's Witnesses are Christian. Like I said, they're good people. I think they're trying to serve God. They're trying to do the best that we can, and we need to honor their effort, but we disagree passionately about what they believe and teach about Jesus. Um, so, and we could actually do a whole podcast on the deity of Christ, and I need to be, you know, academically prepared for that. But there's 
There's reasons, there's specific reasons. And so for the early church, the problem was not, is Jesus God? The problem was, was he a man? And so that's a whole nother discussion and debate. And so early on, they struggled believing that he was a man at all. So like the temptations that we talked about a couple of weeks, people struggled with, you know, was Christ really tempted because he's God and God's mm-hmm. not tempted. And so it's like, so yeah, he, he was tempted because not only is he God, but he's also man, he's the God man. So uh, I don't know if that answers everything about your question, but we could do a specific podcast on on that. And, you know, the basic thing I would say is, you know, don't ridicule or put down Jehovah's Witnesses, love them, care for them, and they're being obedient to the scriptures as they understand it. The problem is the Watchtower Society is not a recognized translators of the Bible. We don't know who they are, what they are. We don't know where they got their degrees from, and they're not honest in their interpretation of scripture. That's why Jehovah's Witnesses have their own Bible that nobody else uses. They create scripture as they need it to be. And so anywhere where the Bible says Jesus is worshiped, they're going to change that word. Mm-hmm. Somehow they're going to twist it and turn it because Jesus is clearly worshiped in the scriptures. And right, that's a violation because we're only supposed to worship God. And so here, here's what I would say to people. I think this is, for me, what settles it is the Bible in the Old Testament is specifically clear that God will save us. God will do it. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus Christ is a created being, God didn't do it. You say, well, you know, he created, well, yeah, but there's no, there's no sacrifice there on God's part because he's God. He can create as many sons as he wants to, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's who he is. And so there's no sacrifice there. The uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the one, the only, the one begotten son of God, there was pain from the father on the cross. There was a suffering that took place there because God in the human flesh, in Jesus is dying on that cross. And um, God did save us. And so the Bible says God will not share his glory. He shares glory with Jesus. He honors Jesus. He says the church is to worship Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit points to Jesus. And so everything is uh, centered around Christ. Uh, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11, a great place to look at who Jesus was, what he did. And ultimately, he has the name above all names. He is to be worshiped by everyone. Uh, and that's because Jesus Christ is God. So uh, I don't know if this is relevant, but I just Googled and saw that Prince is Jehovah's Witness. So they have that going for them. Yeah, I don't know that Prince is really anything, and that's not to mock, you know, his eternal beliefs. But I, I certainly don't think that, you know, based upon his career, that he's an example of uh, a Jehovah Witness, at least one that they want to, you know, celebrate. Fair, fair I enough. saw Purple Rain; it scarred me forever. <laughs> how, how awesome would that be, though? Like, if you did, like, if somebody comes and knocks on your door, and uh, it's two people, and one of them is Prince, that would be awkward. Be a little weird. I, I think people I'd would be really it. excited about that. But, uh. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Dude, uh, that is what Snapchat was made for. Okay, here we go. Another another question. Um, this came from Ryan, who is in Jesse's group. And he asked, again, this is after the healing service that we did from Luke chapter 5. He asked, did Jesus ever not heal someone who came to him? No. Uh, in every circumstance, Jesus healed everyone. And so Luke, especially, right, the doctor. So he's mm-hmm. a doctor writing. He, he makes it a point to say that Jesus healed everyone who came to him. He touched every person that came to him. I mean, Jesus Christ is the one and only. So healings take place in the church, but no one's Jesus. And so, you know, even, even the miracles that take place, say, in the book of Acts, those are in there not because they were everyday encounters or experiences, but because they were miracles. They were highlights of the early church. And so Jesus Christ has the unique authority to heal. He doesn't have to ask God for the ability to heal. He just simply decides. Mm -hmm. Whatever decision he renders, right, happens. And so when he speaks healing in somebody's eyes, there is an instance where he spits in a guy's eyes and says, can you see? And the guy's like, it's a little fuzzy. And so 
you know, he does it again and then the guy can see fully. But I don't think that's an issue of Jesus not healing him. I think it's an issue of getting us to be real when we don't experience the miracle that we want. He's saying, can you see? And the guy could have lied, but he was honest. He said, no, um, hmm. I can't see yet fully. I see shapes, but I don't see clearly. And so then Christ touches him again and he's healed. So, um, and again, I mean, Jesus is God. There's nothing that's too difficult for him. He can do everything. And that's why we need to understand the nature of God. Going back to the last question, who is Jesus? He's the creator of all things. He has made all things. So, uh, Colossians says, all things were made by him, through him, and for him. And they mm-hmm. are sustained because of him. And so, there's this real clear picture that Jesus isn't just a guy. He's not just an angel. Um, uh, or as Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, believe maybe in... Uh, I believe it's Proverbs 8, the wisdom, the creation of wisdom. He is the unique son of God. And so Hebrews, and like I said, we can have a a further talk about that sometime, but Hebrews points that out, that Jesus is no angel, that he's greater than Moses. He's greater than David. He's greater than any of these people. And in in Hebrews, they actually compare him to an angel, which is what's so sad about, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses. They say, well, he's an angel. Hebrews 1 is all about the fact that he's not. Mm -hmm. He's more than that. He's to be worshiped. He's to be honored. He's to be, you know esteemed above all things. And so, uh, Hebrews 1 is one of the most powerful chapters related to the deity of Christ. So, Jesus Christ can do it all. He can do it all. Like today, in today's discussion, we talked about, you know, the woman, the sinful woman. He just said, you are forgiven. He just spoke it, and it is. He is the righteous judge. He can speak forgiveness on whom he speaks forgiveness. We are guaranteed that when we come to him by faith, that we can be forgiven. But Christ can do whatever he wants. He's God. He, and, and not only can he do it, but he paid the price. He's already paid the price for all sin. So, yeah, Jesus Christ, I mean, we have no idea who he is. So, um, and hopefully we'll get, get to it today. And then I want to talk about Jesus healing um, the young man that was dead in Luke 7. It, it terrified people. Like, we think of these miracles as, oh, wow. And in the ancient world, they thought, oh, crap. This, mm-hmm. this is scary. Because mm-hmm. when God moves, things get really scary. Okay, so there there was a time, right, where Jesus went home to Nazareth, where his hometown was, yeah. and didn't say he, I can't, I'm trying to remember if he couldn't do miracles there. He or said, he, it says he didn't do many miracles. So he did some miracles, but he just got so frustrated with a lack of faith because he was, you know, the Bible says that a prophet is not recognized in his own hometown. And so they still have this idea of Jesus as a young boy, Jesus as a child, Jesus as the son of Mary and Joseph. And, and they're like, who do you think you are? Uh, and they didn't accept him as God. Mm-hmm. Even his own brother, James, his half-brother James, who writes the, the book of James in the Bible and becomes the bishop of the church in Jerusalem, you know, he didn't get it until afterwards. His own mom, Mary, who right was gave birth as a virgin, uh, had an angel speak to her. Even she didn't understand everything that Jesus is. I don't know if that answers your question. You're like going into deep, deep thought, I can tell. Well, I'm trying to trying to keep up with you, dude. This is good stuff, and I'm also sympathizing with everyone who's uh, driving and listening in the car for yeah. sure when you uh, get these good things. So maybe the note of advice for listening to the debrief podcast is to not be driving, have a pad of paper out so you can capture yeah. some quick notes, or just listen to it to a couple yeah. times. Oh, even better! Yeah, repeat viewers. Yes. That's awesome. Listeners, really. Okay, repeat listeners. Maybe uh, watch the little bar go across, but yeah. that would be very interesting. Fair enough. Okay, here's a, here's another one. Uh, so we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 6. And um, this was uh, basically last weekend's message. This came from Aaron in Barry's groups. And this is Aaron with an E-R-I-N. So I'm going to assume this is a lady. 
here's Luke chapter 6, 29. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. And you talked through this with the challenging teachings from Luke chapter 6. Here's Aaron's question. How many cheeks should one turn? Is there a limit? How much rudeness and abuse do we need to tolerate? Right. Well, I would say God gave you two cheeks. So, you know, take it twice and then move on. And so the issue is if we have abusive people in our life, if we have people who continue to insult, hurt, and destroy, you know, God says you got to love the monster, but you don't have to stay in the cage with them. And so what I would say is, you know, part of being a healthy Christian is to realize I need to not engage in these people who just continually hurt me. I can love them. I can pray for them. I can wish them well. I can be as kind as I possibly can. But there's people in my life where I've learned they're just not nice people. Mm -hmm. They're just not kind people. And so, you know, I mean, sometimes you have to deal with them because they're at work, right? And you're stuck. And, and you invited them onto the podcast as yeah. a new guest host. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steph. Yeah. That was, that was kind of rude. That was one slap. Maybe you'll that turn one, the cheek. Yeah. I was cheek. exactly yeah. dude, yeah. modeling right here on the yeah. moment. One of the good yeah. things I can modeling do. Modeling insults. That's good. Yeah. You're a good example of what not to do. All right. So, <laughs> so, so again, God's not asking you, the teaching of Christ is not to be unhealthy or to be unsafe. And so what I would do is I would go to a pastor, go to one of our soul care ministers and say, here, here's my situation. And to really, really seek counsel because you may need to get out of a relationship. And we certainly don't want you to be beat down. And so the idea of, you know, the taking of, of the coat is, is that, um, you know, the teaching of the day was if somebody asks for your coat, what you did is you offered them your inner tunic because, you know, that, that was the right thing to do, but your coat was the thing that kept you safe. And so what Wait, Jesus, when you say inner tunic, what do you mean? Well, you had two tunics, you had your inner and outer. So there was two that people wore. So kind of like, you know, like our undershirts and then our jackets. Okay. Um, so when, when Jesus says, when somebody asks for, you know, your inner jacket, give, give them your outer one as well. Give them both. And so basically that's where the saying, give, give the shirt off your back comes from. Okay. Um, that, that's where it comes Sorry, from. It's, it's, just, it's this idea of be generous when people have needs. Uh, and so a lot of times what we do, the Christian thing to do is to not make eye contact with somebody in need. So do what you can do to be as generous as you can possibly be. And don't do it just because of their ability to repay. And so Jesus talks about that in Luke 6. Like we're willing to lend money to people that we know can get back. That's what banks do. Banks lend money based upon your credit history and your ability to pay back. As Christians, we got to be generous and just and just not care about people not being able to pay us back. Just mm -hmm. say, look, man, I, I want to bless you. Mm -hmm. So I, I think uh, Aaron with an E needs to exercise wisdom in that area. And if you're in abusive relationships, you know, you need to love them from afar. That's what I would say. Mm. Yeah, and that goes back to last week, even when you were defining what love for us was. So if you missed last week's episode, it was really awesome when you talked about how Jesus defined love really is wishing others well. Yeah, wishing others well and showing kindness. That was awesome. I was trying to highlight that I was paying attention to. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that you're listening. Yes, good exactly. job, Justin. Do what I can. Thanks, guys. Um, my cheeks are wide open for compliments. I will, I will continue to take them. Uh, as much as we can. Okay, we got. Let's jump over here to Luke chapter seven because I was actually listening to you uh, preach this morning during the eight thirty service here at Main Campus. I'm trying to rack up just lots of points. Right now. <laughs> That's that right. Yeah, exactly. yeah, I'm glad you listen when you come to church. I do, I do. Since you do get paid to come, that is that part is true. So, in all fairness, let's listen uh, multiple times. So here, here's the question that I have, and you actually said that you would want to talk about this because there's, again, so much going on in Luke chapter 7 that you couldn't cover. One of the things that's really interesting is this conversation that Jesus has with the followers of John the Baptist, mm. who um, is Jesus' cousin. And then earlier on, he's right. He baptizes Jesus. Yeah. And I think calls him the son, like said, declares this yeah. is the son of John God. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Right. So now here I mean, we go. Uh, yeah, John the Baptist says that in the gospel. John the, John the Baptist says yeah. that. So now here we are in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, 19, right in there. And uh, the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Why is why is John asking this question in light of their relationship and everything else that he's already declared publicly right. about Jesus? Yeah, and the reality is because he's, you know, I mean, as amazing as John is, right, Jesus describes John as the most significant person in the world. Mm-hmm. He's the most significant person in the world. It's absolutely amazing. So, but then he says, but the least person in the kingdom is greater than John. So, John the Baptist is still a human being and he still struggles. So, so this is what I would say. Why is John questioning? So the gospel of Mark tells us, not Luke, but Mark tells us he's in prison. So John's in prison. Why? Because he spoke to the immoral relationship that King Herod has. So King Herod has, has, has uh, a sexually immoral relationship uh, with somebody else's wife. It's immoral. It's wrong. It's terrible. And John called him on it. And so he ends up in prison and ultimately loses his head. So here's John. He served God his whole life. He's enjoyed, you know, some popularity. He's seen, you know, a spiritual revival take place in Israel. But now he's locked up and he's in prison. And this is the same way that many of us are going to doubt Jesus. So what happens? He's followed God. He's been faithful to God. Now he's in prison and life is not going the way that he thought it would with the Messiah in his life. And so he's questioning. Why? Because Jews believed almost almost to the man, to the woman, that when the Messiah returned, he would lead an army he would be a military victor. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't just going to forgive sins. He was going to conquer sin. He was going to conquer death. And so what they were looking for was this great combatant, this great military leader that would unite, unify the tribes of Israel, would bring everybody together, would hurl off Roman oppression. And so there was all this understanding that went with being the Messiah. And that's the reason why every rebellion leader in the time and age of Jesus, every single rebellious leader claimed to be the Messiah. It didn't matter who they were. Mm -hmm. Jesus wasn't the only one that received messianic attention. Literally, there were hundreds of people that said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. And they would rally people to them and try to fight Rome. And Jesus says, look, that's not why I'm here. And he actually rejects that. So remember, they try to make him king in the triumphal entry. They try to anoint him as king, put him on the donkey. They say, look, you're going to be our king and you're going to take over. And the Bible says Jesus just leaves. And so, I mean, part of the reason... I would say the major reason that Jews reject Jesus is because he didn't throw off Roman oppression. He didn't bring worldwide peace. Mm -hmm. And that's what they believe the Messiah will do. And if you talk to a Jew today, why don't you believe in Jesus? And they will tell you because there's not peace on earth. The Messiah will bring peace on earth. And we don't have peace on earth yet. Right. And so what they don't understand is that the prophecies that are spoken about Jesus speak about his coming and his return. And so some rabbis decided that there would be two messiahs, one who suffered and died and one who conquered and reigned. We as Christians know Jesus is both. Mm. He's both the suffering servant and he's the ruler king. He's both. He came as the lamb and he will return as the lion. And so John's wrestling with that. I don't understand what, why I'm in prison. I'm in prison unjustly. I thought if the Messiah was here, right, I'm going to be out of prison. Herod's going to be the one that's locked up in jail because the Messiah is going to bring peace. And so he's wrestling with, if you're really God, why aren't these things happening? And every Christian's going to get to that place. Well, why do I have cancer? Why am I going through a divorce? Why did I lose my job? Why are my finances a mess? Because Jesus Christ has promised to fix all things when he returns. And so oftentimes we interpret all the promises of God as happening here and now in our life. 
Some of the promises of God will be fulfilled in your life, but all of the promises of God will be fulfilled when he returns. Sin will be done with, death will be done with, uh, right? The lion will lie with the lamb. The little kid will put their hand in the cave of the snake, you know, in, in the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Snake den. But we'll put his hand in the snake den and, and the cobra or the adder won't bite the child. Mm-hmm. These are the things that we have to look forward to when all creation is made right. And so John is confused. I don't understand. If you are God, why isn't there peace? Why isn't there peace on earth? Why, 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 why am I in jail? Why is suffering still happening? And so Jesus says, go back and tell John, what do you see? What do you see? Because why? Luke knows who Jesus is. John doesn't, but Luke knows. And he wants the author to know. He wants Theophilus to know. Jesus Christ was the one we're looking for. Why? The blind are healed. The paralyzed are healed. The dead have been raised. Uh, People are being fed. The gospel is being preached. All of these things are happening. So John, you know who I am. Now I'm not doing what you want me to do, but you know who I am. Mm -hmm. And the Bible says, you know, ultimately John gets his head cut off and Jesus is really broken about that. Mm -hmm. It really affects him. Uh, because oftentimes God's servants die. That's just the reality, and it's terrible and it's awful. And just to clarify, Theophilus, you said Theophilus is the guy who's going to be receiving the letter of Luke. Yeah. So the, the book is written to Theophilus, which means lover of God. Philus is um, um, uh, lover, and uh, Theo is God, so lover of God. And um, yeah, so he's writing this letter to him to convince him of who you believe. Right. So John is wavering in his faith, but Luke wants us not to waver. Luke knows exactly who he is. And we're headed for, right. for uh, Luke okay. 9, which is a powerful chapter. Who do you say that I am? So the disciples, just think about it. Peter, James, John, the two Judases, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, all this. They're still not convinced. They don't know exactly who Jesus is. And so it's not until the confession of Christ in Luke 9, where Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. So we need to give these people grace. We understand the outcome. But Luke is building the case. This is who Jesus is. He's letting us learn through the eyes of those who learned who Jesus was. He's letting Theophilus grow in his understanding of who Christ is so he can know. And so John, and I, I, I think it speaks to, right, the accuracy and the truth of Scripture. How can we trust Scripture? Well, why on earth would they have John the Baptist doubt? Why, why would you put that in there if you're trying to make the case that Jesus is God? Like, like if I was writing it, I'd be like, John the Baptist said, absolutely, and I'll die knowing, and that's Mm -hmm. not what the Bible says. The Bible says even the mightiest of faith, people the mightiest of faith, like John, even they wavered, even they struggled. So, because Jesus doesn't fit the picture of what he thought, of what people thought throughout history he should look like. Man, it's really it's interesting to hear you talk about this. It's it's kind of like that the faith that John is. It's like he's acting out in faith earlier, saying, "I really believe this yeah. about Jesus," and then kind of secretly being like, "I really hope are we sure this is yeah, yeah like I really <laughs> yeah. hope this yeah. is right." Yeah, and and I think if we're honest, we're all going to find ourselves there, right? You know, um, you know, when we're single uh, and maybe we're not getting married, or we're married and we're having trouble, or we we're married and we want to have kids, and those things aren't happening, right? I believe in God, and it's like ah. You know, help me believe God, which one guy says. And we, we all, so faith, right? We're all moving from I know to I hope, right? <laughs> and faith is right in the middle of there. And God has asked us to have faith. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, faith is not knowledge. It's hope. And not like, you know, like I hope, but like hope, substantial hope that I can bet my life on and my soul and my eternal destiny. So. Awesome. Um, you mentioned you wanted to talk more about the story of the boy who got 
brought back to life. In yeah, Luke 7. it's absolutely significant. So this he, this story parallels the story of Elijah, and so some of the language is similar. Elijah is in the old, like yeah, old Testament. Yeah, Elijah in the Old prophet. Testament. I believe it's in First Kings, and Elijah brings a woman's son back from the dead. And so Jesus, right, is greater than Elijah. He's greater than the prophets. So he's doing the works. So right, John questions actually right after this, you know, who are you? Mm-hmm. Which is where the question comes, because you just raised this this kid from the dead. And so think about it. this kid is dead in the, he's in the coffin on the way to the grave. And G, the Bible says that Jesus sees his mother and he has compassion on her. Mm-hmm. He's heartbroken for her because he knows she's now going to have to sell herself as a slave or sell herself in prostitution because she has no husband and now she has no son. And so your son was your lifeblood in that day. It was your insurance policy. Your children took care of you in your old age. She's now completely on her own. She's devastated. And the Bible says Jesus saw that, man. And what I love about that story is it shows that God cares about our deepest hurts. He cares about our deepest losses. He weeps with us. Jesus was moved by her loss. Right. And he healed. Yeah, he even reaches out. Yeah, he sees her and says, don't cry, right? Yeah, and he does what a rabbi is not supposed to do, right? A rabbi is not supposed to touch a corpse because they become unclean. But Jesus is no rabbi, right? Who, who are you, Jesus? He's the son of God. Mm-hmm. Death does not corrupt him. And he reaches out and he touches the boy and calls him, says, come out, you'll be alive. And the mother weeps every, and the Bible says, everybody's terrified, terrified. They're, they're excited, but they're scared to death. I mean, right? Because these things don't happen. We don't go to funerals and people don't touch somebody and they come back. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but Jesus is Lord even over death. So who, who is that? Who has authority over death? God does. Jesus Christ is God. So it's awesome. Man, I, I keep thinking about um, just even all the folks who decided to commit their lives to Jesus here this last weekend. And then the, really that same kind of faith that they're trying to move forward in, in, you know, Jesus trusting, or almost like picturing Jesus reaching out to them saying, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm seeing your mm-hmm. circumstances um, you know, I want to come enter in there. And then the response is mm-hmm. really ask for that, that kind of faith and yeah. uh, what, it, what it looks like. Man, for, for those of us who've got friends or family who are here this weekend that we've invited, you know, some of us have neighbors or coworkers that maybe committed themselves to Christ. For folks who are just kind of starting off on that path, maybe literally even this weekend, how would you encourage us to encourage them? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would just say, start start reading the Bible with us and, and you know, catch up. You only got seven chapters to go, but start mm-hmm. learning the story of Jesus because you can't follow Jesus and not know him. And the only way you know him is by what happened in scriptures. That's why the scripture is so important. As Christians, we are people of the word. And so they've got to start reading their Bibles. The gospel of Luke is a great place to start because it's written for people who don't understand everything mm-hmm. about um about, about God. And so it's a great place to start. So I would say start there, start learning and give yourself time. And so, you know, Luke 7, so there's two examples, right? Um, you know, John's questioning, but then it's the Gentile. It's the Gentile who, right, the, the uh, I think it's the uh, Gentile centurion that has great faith. And he says, you don't even need to come into my house. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus says, such faith have I not seen in all of Israel. So this Gentile has more faith. And so that's what I would just encourage them is to go with their faith, trust their faith, keep believing. Because that guy didn't know Jesus. He wasn't even a Jew, but he had incredible faith. 
Okay, so you literally just wrapped up preaching on Luke 7 uh, like an hour and a half ago at most. Um, do you have any idea where you're going to go next week with Luke chapter 8? There's all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, I have no idea. All right, sounds good. Well, we yeah. will be, I guess, praying for you this week as uh, you are re- reading through that. How do you do, how do, you do that? Do you just kind of read Luke 8? Yeah, a I bunch? just read it a couple of times, uh, pray over it, and try to figure out what part of the chapter, because I can't preach on everything. Um, you know, I, I pick the I pick the chapter or the section each week that I feel like God wants our church to hear. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that's on healing. This week it was on being saved, giving an opportunity for people to experience forgiveness. And I can't tell you how important that is for all of us to live a guilt-free, shame-free life. Because sh- shame and guilt are real, and you can't wish them away. Somebody has to take them away. Somebody has to remove that burden from you. And so Jesus said that he can do that. And he does that with the woman, you know, who's just weeping and... It's such a powerful story, and it touched it touched the heart of Christ, and He changed her life. So, actually, can I see one more question, really quick? No, uh, you mentioned <laughs> you kind of answered this this weekend. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway, um, because we get this question all the time, which is asking people asking us, how come we don't uh, invite people to come to know Jesus at the end of service every single weekend? And I really kind of love where that question is coming from. Right? right. Usually, it's people wanting to see more people. Um, commit their lives to following Jesus, you know, yes, maybe somebody yeah. with a neighbor or a husband or a wife who doesn't know Jesus. And you even talked about that a little bit this weekend. Yeah. Well, I would say the first thing is that every healthy church needs to have uh, spiritual rhythms. So if you're constantly leading new people to Christ, what that means is you're not discipling them. Because I mean, you know, right, if, if a family has 20 babies, mm-hmm. life has to change radically. And so churches oftentimes like to see babies, but they don't want to grow children. And so I believe that my primary purpose as a pastor is to grow children, Hmm. to help people grow. That's why we're studying the gospel of Luke. My job is to teach the church. You know, Sandals is not an evangelistic rally. We're not Harvest Crusade. That's not what it is. And so I give an invitation, A, when I feel the Holy Spirit leads me to, or B, the text mandates it. Like today, Mm -hmm. I think the text mandates it. And so we give people an opportunity to come to Christ. And I think that there's healthy rhythms. And so... If as a pastor, every single week, I'm thinking about, okay, how do I end with a gospel message? What happens is the church people tune you out. And also the barometer for spiritual movement at the church becomes lost people getting saved, not Christians becoming more like Christ. Mm. And so I want the barometer of the health of our church to be Christians becoming more like Christ. That's the primary responsibility because if we're becoming like Christ, we're going to share our faith. Right. We're going to lead people to Christ. We're going to minister. We're going to disciple. And a church that does that, a church where church people are leading people to Christ, a church where church people are discipling people, a church where church people are, are going on mission, that's a church that changes the world. Not a pastor who stands up on stage and says, every week I'm going to call you to, to receive Christ. And so, again, I see my primary job as feeding Christians, challenging Christians. And that's not to say there aren't lost people there. Um, and, and the other thing is, is, I don't think that you win somebody to Christ with one message. I, I, I think a lot of churches believe in that knockout punch, that Hail Mary, right? Mm-hmm. That one time. And we're, we're, we're now entering into a time when people don't know the gospel. They don't know the stories. And it takes people longer to be ready to accept Christ. And so most people need to hear, not always, because there's always that example of, I heard Christ the first time and I got saved. But like I talked about me getting saved this week, but I grew up in church. Mm -hmm. I knew all the stories. I knew I was in sin. I knew what I was doing was wrong. And so when Greg preached, everything lined up for me. When Pastor Greg Lloyd preached, it all lined up for me. But what do you do when you came from a Hindu background, an atheist background? You don't know anything about God. It takes you a while to figure out whether or not you want to follow Jesus. And I think people should be given the opportunity 
it's the most important decision, right? I don't think you should get married the second you meet somebody. And I don't know that it's always healthy to accept Christ the second you hear about him. You've got to wrestle with the cost, right? First, Christ calls us to come and see. Then he says, count the cost. So figure it out. And I think about my friends that have gotten saved this year in church, you know, um, some of my wife and I's good friends, they came to church for three months together every single week, didn't miss. And then I gave an opportunity to be born again. They understood what it meant. They understood what change they needed to make in their life. And they've got totally involved. They're reading the Bible. They're in a small group. They're making all these changes because they were given time to sit back, figure it out. And if you're pressuring people to make a decision right here, right now, every week, oftentimes they don't ever come back. And my number one goal each week is for people to come back, come mm-hmm. back, come back, because that's how, that's how progress happens. That's how change happens. And, uh, and I think we see a lot of people in our church come to Christ. I, we do. We see yeah. a healthy amount. Totally. Man, that was awesome. That was super great. So uh, good luck figuring out what you're going to do for Luke chapter eight this weekend. And uh, thanks everybody for uh, listening to the debrief. We got some really encouraging uh, emails that have come in over the week and uh, we super, super appreciate all of that feedback. Um, if you guys want to do us a favor and help spread the word about the podcast, of course, we would appreciate that. If there's friends in your community group that aren't listening to it, we should probably just tell them yeah, to absolutely. start listening to it. Uh, SandalsChurch.com slash the debrief. And if you've got questions that you want to um, get Pastor Matt to answer, go ahead and get those to your community group leader and uh, your community group leader can get them on the show. And if you do have final feedback, we'd love it. Send me an email, prd at SandalsChurch.com. And would... feel free to mention how much you like that new guest. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought she was pretty awesome. Yeah, she did. She did all right. All right. All right. We love you guys. Have a <laughs> rad week and we'll see you back here for episode number. I think it's going to be 12. I'm not sure how. It's sounds four. about right. It's four. Yeah. We don't do math. All right. Thanks guys for listening. <laughs> All right. Bye. <laughs>